Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, please take it, and we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 5, so in your, towards the back of your Bible, in the middle uh, or so in your New Testament, uh, Galatians 5, 1 through 15, it will also be in your bulletin, it will be on the screen behind me as well, there's also a pew Bible if you would like to grab one in front of you as well. Uh, this is God's Word, Galatians 5, 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the law? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you who were called to freedom, brothers, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not let your freedom to be an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that those that watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to help us through his spirit. Uh, apply this to our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you tell us that your word um, is sweet like honey on the comb. You also tell us uh, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it can penetrate the bone and the marrow. And so we pray that you would do that, that you would make this word sweet to us, that it would revive our souls, that you would pierce our hearts with it. Father, some of us have been coming uh, to worship services for as long as we can remember, and it's really easy for us to just come and open up the Bible and think it's just another book. But it's not just another book. Uh, It's your word, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so would you take this uh, and apply it to our hearts this morning? Would you convince us this morning that we're a bigger mess than we realize? But at the very same time, convince us that your love for us is greater than we could possibly imagine. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the theme of the passage this morning uh, is, can really be summarized in one word, and that is the word freedom. We know that. You see kind of the freedom bookends. Look at verse 1 and verse 13. 
Uh, and anytime you see that in your Bible as you're reading or studying, that means that every, if it's, you've got those kinds of bookends, it means everything in between those verses is about freedom for us. In Jesus, because of Jesus, you are free. But the question then becomes, what does the Bible mean when it talks about freedom? Because maybe you're here and you're skeptical of Christianity and you hear, you hear me and I say freedom and Christianity and freedom and the Bible and you think I know a lot about Christianity but one thing uh, I know is that I don't know a lot about Christianity but I know one thing that freedom and Christianity do not go together. Why? Well, because most of the time when we think about Christianity people all automatically think of a list of rules. They think of do's and don'ts, things that are holding us back from living the life that we really want to live. Our culture views freedom, I often say, the way Princess Elsa views freedom in the movie Frozen. I've got four girls, many of you know, and so I think I might have the Frozen movie memorized. And in our recent trip to Disney, we went to Epcot, and there's a fairly new ride at Epcot, Frozen Ever After. You get in this boat, and it's a water ride, and you go through the scenes of the movie, and, and the climax of the ride, the thing that you're moving towards, is Princess Elsa in the Ice Palace, right? She's in the Ice Palace, and you go up, and you see her, and she is belting out, and I will not sing it for you but she's belting out at the top of her lungs, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. Let it go. Let it go. That's the way our culture thinks about freedom when we hear it. Autonomy. We think of individuality and freedom and we think that that mindset, we think the path to human flourishing involves being free from all restraints so that we can be our true self. We think any sort of, sort of external authority or expectation that is holding us back has to be done away with so that we can be who we were truly made to be. And there's only one problem with that. It's that there is a kind of freedom, the Bible says, that doesn't make you free. There's a kind of freedom that doesn't make you free because there is a freedom that actually fails to honor your design as a human being and the way God made you. And so instead of freedom, you actually become a slave. Instead of freedom, uh, you get something that actually eats away at your soul and makes you a shadow of who you were intended to be. And so if the definition of freedom that the world has and the way we typically think of it actually leads to slavery, then what is Paul talking about in Galatians chapter 5? What does he mean when he says Jesus has freed us? Look at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Notice past tense. It's something that has been done. We are free. And the question we're going to look at this morning is what does that mean? Because the apostle Paul gives us a definition that's way richer and deeper than anything that we could come up with on our own because the Apostle Paul talks about gospel freedom. So we're going to answer three questions from this passage. What is meant by freedom? What does it mean? How do we keep freedom? Secondly, 
and where does it lead? So what does it mean, how do we keep it, and where does it lead? Let's look at the first point. What does it mean? What does freedom mean? Well, remember the context, okay? Paul is an apostle uh, of Christ Jesus, sent by God. Remember, that's the whole first point, uh, first two chapters of Galatians. He's saying, I didn't make this up. God's given me this gospel. I didn't invent this gospel. And Paul's gospel that we've been learning about is Jesus plus nothing equals acceptance with God. Paul leaves and goes to plant other churches and these false teachers come in and they say, no, 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 Paul, we love Paul, uh, but he's got a few things wrong. Yes, you need Jesus, but you also need works of the law. You need to be obedient to the law of Moses and you need to do what the children of Abraham have done for years, thousands of years, and you need to be circumcised. That's the background. With that, look at verse 2, because Paul is still pounding home his point. Verse 2, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you add anything to Jesus as a requirement to be acceptable with God, then you really don't need Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. You, you don't need a Savior if you can do what it takes in order to save yourself, Paul is saying if you add one thing to Jesus, then you actually subtract from him. We've been learning about this in our study. Remember, if you change the gospel just a little tiny bit, you don't get a different gospel, you get no gospel. Is what Paul has been arguing in the book of Galatians. To add to Jesus is to lose Jesus. There's a story about a guy who had a, a baseball that was signed by Babe Ruth. And he wanted, to, uh, he wanted to sell this baseball and kind of put it out and see what he could get for it. Uh, the only problem with the baseball is the signature for Babe Ruth was very, very faint. And so he thought, no one's ever going to believe this is real, and so I've got to fix this. And so he gets out a blue marker. And he presses down as hard as he can and he goes over the signature of Babe Ruth. And in doing so, he takes something that is priceless and makes it worthless. That's what Paul's saying. When you add something to Jesus, then you take something that is priceless and you make it worthless. And that's what he's doing in these first few verses of chapter 5. Look at verses 3 and 4. He's pressing home the point. If you accept circumcision, you're obligated to the whole law. Because the Galatians were thinking, we're going to keep this one thing and we'll be good. And Paul is saying, you can't treat the law that way. You can't just say, here's one thing that I know I can do, and that will make me acceptable with God and I'll be good. Paul says, if you want to go that route then you're obligated to keep the entire thing and you cannot do it. And it will kill you and crush you and lead to slavery and death, which is why he says what he does. Look at verse 4. If you justify yourself by the law, you have severed... Yes, that is a play on words from Paul. You have (laughs) been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. That is so strong, what Paul is saying here. And let me be clear. What does he mean? He's not, saying, he's not talking about assurance of salvation. He's not talking about your eternal security as a believer. Paul is saying, though, if you turn 
to human performance in order to save you and be right with God. In other words, if you add anything to Jesus, you've moved from the sphere of grace to the law and you are lost. Very powerful. Because Paul is saying it's not either or. It's not like, yeah, you're saved by grace, but then you need to do a few things and you'll be good. Uh, You have a choice to make. That's what Paul is getting at. There's no in-between. It's either Jesus alone or it's your effort and your best performance. You can't have it both ways. You either trust in grace that's offered in Christ or you trust in your best effort. And if you trust in your best effort and try to just think, I'm going to be the best person I can be, and that's what's going to make me right with God, he says, you will be severed from Jesus. It's either or. Very powerful. And so let's keep going. Look at verse 1 with me, and let's kind of uh, work this out some more and, and, and do some application here. Verse 1, he says, you're submitting again to a yoke of slavery. And what Paul is getting at here, and really throughout the whole book of Galatians, is if the operating formula of your life is Jesus plus something else, then you are a slave to whatever is on the other side of the plus sign. If the operating formula of your life is Jesus plus something else, you are a slave to what's on the other side of the plus sign. He says, again, you're submitting to a yoke of slavery. A yoke was the big beam that they would put on the animals like oxen to get them to pull in the same direction. And so what does that actually look like, though, in a person's life? Because it's really subtle. Very, very subtle. So let me try to paint a picture for us of what this might look like in our lives. It might look like this. Yeah, Jesus, I'm really good with Jesus. And I need Jesus. But, you know... Jesus doesn't always make me feel important. But you know what does make me feel important? is success. Success makes me feel important. Particularly, and we could talk about success in a lot of areas, but let's pick two. Success in my workplace, or in my job, or success in parenting, or in the home. I know I need Jesus, but what makes me feel alive, and what makes me feel whole, is when I'm killing it in the areas of family, and in the areas of work. So really, the gospel is Jesus plus your success. And Paul is saying, let me introduce you to your slave master. It is your children. It is your family. It is your career. Your deepest allegiance is not to Jesus, but to those things. And those things make horrible slave masters, don't they? If those are your slave masters and that is what is ruling and reigning in your heart, you become a workaholic because you've got to succeed. Or you become extremely stressed out. And when you fail or don't close the deal or lose the account, then you're devastated and hopeless and insecure and on edge and anxious. And if the other side of that plus sign for you is success as a parent or If your family's doing well, then you're well. Uh, Then what happens? Well, your children become the center of your home. And when the children become the center of your home, it drives a wedge into your marriage. And then your children come and they disappoint you and they fail you. And when that happens, then you're depressed and devastated for weeks at a time. Whatever it is, Paul is saying, that's on the other side of the plus sign, 
That is what has you in shackles. And oftentimes, those are very good things, but they make horrible slave masters because they enslave you and make your life miserable. And Paul is pressing home the gospel and saying, come to Jesus because Jesus sets you free. He doesn't enslave you. How so? Well, this, you, can't, you can't talk about this passage and not immediately go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and following. It's a passage you might be familiar with, but I love it. Jesus is speaking and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he says, I, and these are my words, I will not drive you into the ground. I will not enslave you. Back to the passage, he says, I will give you rest. And then here's what he says. Take my yoke upon you. Not the yoke of slavery. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Come and find rest for your souls. See, Jesus says here that he doesn't enslave you, but he sets you free. Where are you weary this morning? Where are you weary this morning? Jesus says, bring your weariness to me. Bring your weariness of worrying and working yourself to death in order to get people to like you and people to accept you. Bring your weariness of your social media campaign in which you are trying to control others' perceptions of you and keep up your image. Bring your desire for perfection that is crushing you Jesus says, bring those to me. I will not crush you. I will not drive you into the ground, but I will give rest for your souls. Because when you come to me, you don't need to justify yourself anymore because I justify you and I validate you. You don't need to be validated through your parenting and work and accomplishments because I validate you when you trust in me. You have been freed. That's what Paul is talking about here. And you see, everyone this morning, all of us are yoked to something. We're all yoked to something. Jesus makes that very clear. You're either being yoked to him or you're yoked to something else. And if you're yoked to something else other than Jesus, then it will crush you. Jesus says, come and let me give you rest. Secondly, how do you keep it? That's what freedom is. How do we keep freedom? Well, look at verse 7. I want to quote from the NIV a little bit here, says you were running well. NIV says you were running a good race. I love that picture. And someone cut in on you. And that there's a lot to think about just in that one verse, a lot of implications, because think about it, it's very revealing, because the Galatians were believing. They were running, they were living in freedom, and now they're not. Remember, we we probably don't talk about this enough in our series, but this is written to Christians, the book of Galatians. And so what we learn here is it's possible to know a lot about gospel freedom in our heads and not live in gospel freedom. It's possible to know a lot about gospel freedom and not live in gospel freedom. Now, let me be clear. You can't lose God's love for you, but we are seeing that you can actually lose your freedom and return to slavery. Because we're always being threatened in the world from the outside, from the flesh, the world, and the devil. 
And if you don't believe that this morning, that you are someone is always pressing in on you, or you think, I would never add to Jesus, that I'm good with the gospel, I want to be gentle, but you're naive. And you have no idea, and you do not understand how fragile freedom actually is. It reminds me of the Alabama Rice Cotton Bowl back in 1954. One of the craziest plays ever in the history of college football. Some of you might remember this or have at least seen clips of this. But the Rice, a player from Rice catches the ball inside the 10-yard line, and he's heading down the side of the field, open field, nothing between him and, green, uh, and the end zone but green grass. And then out of nowhere, Tommy Lewis from the Alabama sidelines clotheslines him and totally takes him out. I love Lewis, Tommy Lewis, when he was asked about it, he said, I had too much Bama in me. That's the image. That's the image here in Galatians. They were running well. They were following Jesus. There was nobody between them and the end zone and someone who's not even in the game comes off the sidelines and takes them out. Here's the point, friends. Freedom, gospel freedom is a fight. It's fragile. And we've got to, how do you keep it? You've got to fight for it. Because the flesh, the world, and the devil are seeking to take you out and come off the sidelines and clothesline you. That's why Paul says what he does in verse 2. Look at it. Stand firm. Stand fast. This is a military word that gets at this idea of being alert or resisting attack or sticking together, being tenacious. And so if we're going to fight for gospel freedom, uh, we're going to have to be, have some, t- some tenacity about us because it will be a fight. And here's the thing. Why is this such a big deal to Paul? Why is this so important? Look at verse 9. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul makes the point that he made earlier, uh, and he's just saying it in a little different way. Add one little thing to Jesus, and you lose Jesus. That's why this is such a big deal to Paul. And we, our temptation is to hear this and go, come on, you're getting a little worked up, Paul, about this. Uh, yes, you've got to be overreacting. Well, think about it this way. Have you ever heard someone who has cancer say, oh, I've just got a little cancer? I'm not going to go check it out. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's not that big a deal. No. You are fighting with everything you got to get that checked out and to rid your body of that. The Apostle Paul is saying the exact same thing here. You add one tiny little thing to Jesus and you don't have Jesus. And it's a big deal. And it's worth fighting for. So much so, look at what Paul says in verse 12. The message gets it right. This is one of the harshest things Paul says in any of his letters. Here's how the message translates that. Why don't these false teachers, who are so consumed and obsessed with circumcision, why don't they go the whole way and castrate themselves? If you're visiting with us, I'm sorry. But that's the Apostle Paul. Last week, we're talking about Hagar and Sarah, castration this week. Come back next week. 
Um, Paul is so worked up because by adding to Jesus, you cut yourself off from Jesus. And here's just an application question. What gets you this worked up? What are you passionate about? Are you this passionate for gospel freedom or does your passion, uh, are they for other things uh, in your life? Two other really quick applications as far as keeping gospel freedom that I want to mention. One of the things God has given us to help, not only do we need to fight, but another thing God has given us to help us fight and to help us keep gospel freedom is what's happening in this room right now, corporate worship. We come here every week not to just check this off our list and say, well, good, I got my church in this week. We come here every week and we sing these songs, these hymns, and we hear from God in his word, and we come to the table because every week we need to be reminded over and over and over again that we are free. We need to be reminded of the liberating grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, if we want to fight for gospel freedom, and fighting involves having someone, some community involved in your life. And so my question for you is, who is fighting for you in your life right now for gospel freedom? Who is fighting for you? And then the other question would be, who are you fighting for? The Galatians had the Apostle Paul. Who do you have this morning? Thirdly, where does it lead? Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. Go back to the introduction. Very clearly, Paul's saying gospel freedom does not mean do whatever you want. Now, gospel freedom is very clear. Look at what Paul is doing. Look at verses 1 and 13. He's saying that the gospel frees you from the two errors of the gospel. It frees you, in verse 1, from legalism. But it also frees you, in verse 13, from lawlessness or licentiousness or Loose living, so to speak. Paul is saying that you have been freed from sin, but you have not been freed to sin. Instead, he's very clear here that you've been freed for a purpose. And the purpose is not to do whatever you want. Look at verse 13, the second part of verse 13. You've been freed for love. To love and serve the people around you. Verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith working itself out in love. Verse 14. The whole law can be fulfilled. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love yourself? We hate ourselves sometimes, but we love ourselves a lot. That's a very strong command from the Apostle Paul. It's part of the great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. And it's very subtle here, but very important for us to talk about particularly as it relates to the book of Galatians. Christians are freed from the obligation to obey the law in order to be saved. And now that you are saved by grace, you are obligated and enabled to obey the law. Let me say it another way. Tim Keller says it this way, and I love this. The gospel frees us from the law for the law. The gospel frees us from the law for the law. And this is really important, and it's easy to miss in the book of Galatians. But the book in Galatians, Paul and the false teachers are not arguing over obedience. Of course they believe in obedience. 
That wasn't what they were fighting over. They were arguing over where obedience fell in the equation. Remember the false teachers said Jesus plus obedience equals acceptance with God. No. Paul says that's not right. The equation, the gospel equation, is Jesus plus nothing equals acceptance with God. Then comes obedience. Obedience out of God's love for you. Another way to say it, do you obey in order to get God to love you? Or do you obey because he already does love you? So let's get practical with verses 13 and 14. And I think this is very interesting. You think about Paul's talking about gospel freedom and he's getting to the practical application point in the letter. And you would think all of this talk would be leading to worship or something Paul's really going to talk about. And he says, no, my one big application and the first thing I want to talk to you about that the gospel leads to and freedom leads to is love. I think that's amazing and very telling. Is love, loving and serving people around you as you love yourself. And this is really challenging, and I'm just going to just give us a few small practical things because we're going to be talking more about love when we get to the fruit of the Spirit in the weeks to come. And so let me just get us started because I think there's one place we've got to start if we're going to apply this idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And I think we need to start, or I need to start, We need to start with our time. I heard a pastor once say, and I think it's true, the more faithfully you preach the Bible as a pastor, the bigger the hypocrite you become. And I'll be honest with you, I feel that way this morning. Uh, I've told you I'm your fellow struggler, but boy, I feel like in this area, I really uh, am your fellow struggler. But if we're ever going to get, before we get to the practicals, we've got to talk about our time. Because you know how often I wake up in the day? You know what I say? My day. It's my time. And then God comes and says, no, 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 it's not your day and it's not your time. I'm the owner of everything and you are a steward of your day and a steward of your time. And you see, time is one of those things. You want to talk about what we're passionate about and what we get tenacious about and fight for? Boy, we fight for our time, don't we? And we guard our calendar so tightly. And we put so many things in our calendars and we're so busy and we've got every day and every moment of every day scheduled so much so that we keep people out and there's no room for anyone else in our lives. And so before we get particular, we've got to talk about our calendars. And you know what I end up doing? I do this in lots of areas of my life, but on this one, you know what? We spiritualize our selfishness, don't we? And we use words like fruitfulness and boundaries. And listen, that's a whole other talk. You need to have boundaries, but I think we need to be pushed in the other direction. We talk about boundaries or we say, I'm a wise, I use my time wisely, or I am a good time manager. And you know what all of that actually does? It actually keeps people out so that it becomes not a time management problem, it actually becomes a gospel problem. And you know where I need to start this morning? Perhaps it's where you need to start this morning. But remember what the law does? What does the law do? It drives us to Jesus. And so the application, if you hear that, and that, that 
sticks in your heart is not to feel guilty and shame and just work harder. No, run to Jesus. That's what I need to do. And run to Jesus and repent because we can repent and ask Jesus to help us. And if we hear this and we think, man, I've got to, uh, I've got to make more space in my schedule uh, to help and serve and love people the way Paul's called us to love, here's what not to do. Uh, don't go all guilty on me and go radical and think that the most radical thing you can do and move your family all the way across the country and serve people over there. Yes, those are good things to do, and God might call you to do that, but don't start there. Start here. Start with something that you can do, like taking a meal to a new mom or someone who is in need, who really needs it. Or maybe it means visiting someone in the hospital that's in your kingdom community or in your neighborhood. Or it might mean writing a letter of encouragement to someone that you know needs it in our congregation. What about having your neighbors over for dinner? Signing up for one of our local ministry partners like Grace House. What about serving our children? You know how our children are going to learn what God is like in our church? Through you and through me. That's how they're going to know and learn what God is like. And think of all the ways that we can serve our children. Nursery. Help in the nursery. We can sign up. I saw in the bulletin for Wonder Lab. You can teach kingdom kids. Find somewhere in even the smallest of ways that you can get involved. And that might just be the path out of self-absorption. Let me close with this. I used to, uh, when he played, I used to love watching Brett Favre play football. Uh, I just loved the way he played. He had fun and he was tough, one of the toughest players to ever play in the NFL. And I loved to watch him play. And in 2016, he was inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame, the NFL Hall of Fame. And in his induction speech, he tells this story about when he was in high school and he had a terrible game. And as they were leaving, he was riding home with his dad, and he was waiting on his dad who was in the locker room talking to the coaches, and he overheard his dad talking to the coaches, and his dad says this, I can assure you of one thing about my son. He will play better, and he will redeem himself. And Brett Favre is standing before these thousands of people in his induction speech, and he had never told one single person that story ever. Not even his mother. She's hearing it along with us for the very first time. And this big, tough NFL player, Brett Favre, is standing there with tears rolling down his cheeks. And he says, I'll never forget what my dad said that night. And he says this, I want you to know, Dad, I spent the rest of my life trying to redeem myself. And I hope I succeeded. Friends, Christianity is the complete opposite of that. Brett Favre was playing and living so that he could be redeemed and so that he could be loved by his father. But Christians love and serve in the world because we already are redeemed by the father. We we strive to obey and love God and love other people, not to get God to love us, but because He already does. And it changes the motivational structure. Do you see that? No longer is it self-seeking obedience. No longer are we 
serving God so that we can get God to love us or serving so that people will look and see how great we are. But because we are secure in God's love for us, we're free to forget about ourselves and love other people out of God's deep love for us. We love because God first loved us. You see, gospel freedom leads to the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so good and kind and gentle. We're thankful that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Would you forgive us this morning for the ways we turn back, turn back to the yoke of slavery? Would you help us through your spirit? Would you bring other people in our lives so that we might stand firm and fight for gospel freedom in our lives? And would you come through your spirit and help us not to use our freedom for self-indulgence, but for self-forgetfulness so that we can love and serve the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.